Welcome to part three of the Talking Funny podcast, and today we're discussing the comedy voice of the fantastic Tony Law. Talking funny, it's the truth, believe it, honey. Some of us talk funny through a mic. Yeah, yeah. And you're in the meet and greet. <laughs> for, the, for the record, Tony was just very funny for the last. I was just funny time. about the glasses. So <laughs> if none of this gets any funny, I was funny. <laughs> Yeah, what's going on? We, we are t- starting a podcast, and you were the beginning of the podcast. All right. You were the first. We've just had a conversation about what we want the com- podcast to be. Okay, sure. Um, and it's about comedy voices, because we figured everything else has been done comedy podcast-wise. Yes, they um, sure have. <laughs> uh, uh, not enough. But So this came out of a conversation that me and Sophie had about... So Sophie is a cognitive neuroscientist. Yes, awesome. Uh which is to explain what a cognitive neuroscientist is. So, um, cognitive neuroscientists are basically brain scientists who are interested in asking questions about the brain at yeah. the kind of level that corresponds to behaviour. Yeah. So we're not looking at bits of cells or even individual cells. We're looking at great chunks of brain. And we do a lot of brain scanning and we work with people who've had damage to their brains. And that's the kind of... That's the sort and of framework we're coming from. <laughs> and I'm particularly interested in uh, why we sound the way we do and how brains decode the information in voices and how our brains control the way that we sound. Oh, that's... Well, it feels like you're going to have to do most of the talking. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the least, I, least interesting part of this is probably the brain, but yeah. I have not, no idea. <laughs> no insights on that. Well, no, but this is fascinating, the, though. Yeah. I've, I'm pretty sure I've... I'm pretty sure in the plasticity of the brain, though. I think uh, I think I burnt out big chunks of it, and I've re rehealed them. Oh, yeah. Wow. More on that later. Yeah, yeah. Wow. This is the talking funny pub. Oh, <laughs> this is definitely the talking funny podcast. Sophie works with performers and with poets and dancers and opera singers and theatre companies and comics and does stuff on the science of laughter and why people oh yeah why, why people and we met doing that's fascinating Robin Ince's stuff oh yeah because he's fa- he's interested in stuff yeah I've, yeah I've always been quite afraid of um, deep, you know digging in too deep yeah. I've always been a bit uh, worried that I wouldn't that it would ruin something if I dug to you know it used to be not yeah. anymore but I used to be kind of like I'd never look around the corner when people uh, describe jokes or it's like the, even to the point where I wouldn't even watch other comedy for a long time I, I, so I felt I wanted to just be a pure thing see I had the I, same so when you so I'll kind of want to sort of vaguely structure this around so it's about finding your comedy voice oh yeah like if you because there, there's the there's all the Richard Pryor thing that he was he was uh, the white man's black man on telly and then he discovered himself and he turned into Richard Pryor who was this amazing thing and there's a sort of comedy thing where you have to find your voice and I never so this whole thing came out of a conversation with Sophie where I found my voice but it wasn't my voice my, yeah. voice, my funny my most successful comedy voice is Little Howard and everything yeah. I do is me putting on voices and which is kind of what you do as well yeah in that I saw your show the other day which I loved and uh, you I was trying to when we first started working out working working out together we did, we've never worked out together working together that'd be um, fun yeah you and me oh. working out would be hilarious <laughs> <Yeah>. for <laughs> spot me buddy yeah <laughs> comedy work out pump some yucks that'd be hilarious you we started out roughly the same thing like yeah 90s. I think so we're from the same uh, same class yeah 99 sort of yeah yeah there. 
And you used to talk much more in your... And I always found your voice... I, your voice, I find very funny. Tony, um, your Tony Law. Um, uh, Glenn Wall is one of the funniest people I've... And I find his voice incredibly funny. Yeah. And in his company and your company, I start doing... <laughs> particularly Glenn's, we, I just start talking in a Canadian accent. Yeah. You, I think, in, from memory, you talk much more in your voice, your speaking yeah, voice. Yeah, well, I think I was, I was doing... Um, more observation I'll tell you what it was I was doing stuff I thought would make people laugh so I was trying to anticipate and, uh, and I remember though being very unhappy at it just feeling like um, gosh I know I'm really funny on the inside but I'm not getting it across in my stand up and then also that fear of failure I just thought I don't want to be someone who's not as good at Ed Byrne at doing Ed Byrne's material so, you, so I couldn't figure out what else, how else to do it. You know how you, when you're funny with your family, yeah, yeah, and you're doing all, you just it's, it could be just a sound, just a yeah, or whatever it takes, and you and you go out. You know, everyone has those, and you go off in those little. Yeah, I couldn't find how to get that out. So, so I think finding your comedy voice is finding a way that funny in your head and funny with your friends, yeah, turns into funny in front of. Not anyone, but more people. Yes, uh, that's right. Um, yeah, uh, and um, yeah. <laughs> so I remember you used to do accents. Yeah. Um, but from memory, I can't remember them. But you used to do them almost like doing an impression of like, yeah. hey guys, I'm Canadian, but yeah, I can yeah. do a northern voice. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. do a great northern voice. Yeah. And what's interesting is Sophie. You would not know it, but Sophie is is from Blackburn. I am. Yes, I'm northern. Under the radar, as an academic, has stopped being northern. Uh, yeah. you know, like, so I wonder if, if at some point we could, you could go into full on northern, see if we can <laughs> coax out the northern Sophie. Um, I did. A, I did something last week, and someone came to see me from Blackburn, a very old friend, and I was all over the place. We were talking about laughter, and I was laughter, 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 laughter for about ten minutes. That I've yeah. got to pick one. This is no one else knows there's someone from Blackburn in the audience, and I suspect they don't care. So just, I've just got to get over this. It, well, you know, once you, when you're when you're looking for it, you can hear it yeah, <laughs> as yeah, soon as, yeah, you, as, soon yeah, as you're yeah. aware to it. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm passing. There's too many passing. preconceptions to go. Well, academic, <laughs> posh. Yeah. Southern. <laughs> Sorry about that, Northern folks. <laughs> <laughs> They're not listening. Um, that, um, so my my wife is from Oldham. Um, uh, That's right. And uh, so sometimes I slip into uh, my kids uh, who, when you speak to them on the, you don't realise how posh your kids are. I mean, I'm <laughs> until you speak to them on the phone. And firstly, they both sound. There's a boy and a girl, um, and they're twelve, and, they're eleven and thirteen, and they both sound the same on the phone, and both sound like the Queen. They sound incredibly posh. But yeah. They take the mick out of my wife for her normal accent, <laughs> but then they will every so often say bath instead of yeah. puff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Anyway, my daughter talks. Uh, I wouldn't call it posh. It's pr- pretty posh, but she's um, she's Aspergers, and I think there's something about the way she likes to speak. Perfect, just well. Mm. She likes to pronounce everything crisp and stuff. Mm. Whereas my son, her twin, he's got a bit of street like that. It's not, <laughs> not, not that strong. But I can't do it subtly. But it's like, where's my ball? And he's just, <laughs> and I just thought, a part of me really wanted to have my own. If I'm going to have a little London kid, I wanted a Cockney child. But there's no one talks that around where we live. Proper Cockneys. I mean, there are some. Mm. But um, they're not hanging out with them at the moment. But like really broad, lot, lot apples and pears and that. 
But no, my dream's not come true so far. One day. You know, I'll have to move. Yeah, fine, <laughs> fine. Well, there are less and less of that anyway. Yeah. People speak the more kind of, the, the, what do you call it? What is it called? The is London Patois. Is it estuary English, or is it? I think it's well, still London, it, or is it, it just that, changes really Or is it that the, the school yeah. kids who speak? Like, yeah, well, most of the people that speak a kind of Cockney are probably out in Essex now. Yeah. They, yeah that so shifted that way. Or even even within, even like in it, within a, a place, you get this very, very rapid change. Mm. Just because actually it happens everywhere, but particularly if you have like central London, there's a lot of people that move in and out. So you get these accents kind of coming through and they the big influence they have is in schools and it changes how school kids talk and then it kind of flies out from there mm. and sometimes it sticks and sometimes it goes just to like stays in particular socioeconomic classes and things like that but mm. so my son was at school around the corner from here and the vowel I just completely disappeared like no one said like a bike you got a lack my back yeah that's and right <laughs> was, and that's and that's that, and it's rolling out really fast really really fast and it will be interesting to see that one because that will either get stuck with one particular socioeconomic class, and if it does, then it, people will start to judge that class because of it. That's what happens with month and month. Mm. Or everyone will start doing it, and then we'll all start sounding really weird if we say like. We'll start to feel like Brian Sewell. We'll want to go, you know, um, lack. Um, yeah. So for my generation, that would have been pe- the, the, the sound in the middle of tissue. That's how people said tissue and issue when I was little. And I grew up saying tissue and issue, and I would have sounded as weird. To so grown-ups, tissue was the right way to say. Yeah. Tissue was the new way of saying it. The new way. Issue was the old way, and you'd notice it. It's why people go. Oh, young people don't know how to talk. What they mean is they're talking yeah, differently yeah, yeah. to me, yeah, and they don't it. want to sound like me. And then you, what you go one way or the other. You either join in with it or you stay with it, and then you start to sound very different. Because yeah, nobody really ever likes to or is aware that their own accent is completely different as they're, when they're older. Exactly, exactly. I listened to some old. Uh, videos a while ago of when I way before I met Storm my wife and her accent was different than it is now yeah. so where's Storm from? well she's from up north but they were quite posh and then they weren't posh and so she was getting beaten up all the time mm. for having a for saying fire instead of fire and so her accent changed a little bit and then they moved to the Midlands so she's she's got a little bit of northern but it's way back yeah and then when she moved to London at a young age she started doing a, not not Cockney but like that London Camden slang you know the Camden kind of like Lily Allen yeah yeah. that's kind of you know it's London like that but anyway that's gone she doesn't sound like that at all. sounds like uh, somewhere well in the middle now and it depends mm. what you do doesn't it it's that uh, my wife uh, is uh, was a TV producer when she was from North and so she uh, firstly everyone she most of the people she worked with were gay guys and so people who weren't gay would would genuinely gay it up uh, in order to in order in a meeting would would get camper in order to get their ideas across uh, and so she became much less northern so what does so this, well, this, my, my, I, I like doing all the accents because it's the thing I like doing most it's the most fun thing to do with mm. it certain certain friends I it's funny you say camp 
there's certain friends that the only way I've ever communicated with them is in a camp voice. So would Phil so Nickel you, be one of those? Uh, no, yeah, well, no, Phil and I it changes up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we speak to each other like little, like little judgy little people like that. <laughs> but that's not necessarily camp. It's just people are just really uptight and judgy and just, just worried about everything. But it's so I saw your show, um, and I can't remember it because it's four words that don't appear to relate to each other. The name of the show that you and Phil did was Oh, uh, uh, Virtue Chamber. Echo Bravo. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's that came out of our voices. Yeah, yeah. And that was uh, that was firstly really one thing that made me that uh, from memory from that you you talked in a Canadian accent much more in that show. I mean that sort of judgy yeah, yeah, yeah. Canadian accent than you do as a stand-up. Yeah. But can't because you're, I guess because you were talking to him, and in your on your own show shows you're you're kind of talking to yourself a lot of the time as well as talking to the audience. Yeah. But you're. We'll move on to this. Well, with it, well, in that show, yeah, it's 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 sort of they're they're international guys. They're just they're kind of like they're kind of new to being liberal. So so they they kind of get it mixed up and they're they're ready to call everyone a Nazi because they just want to be like they're just they're putting on their new liberal jacket. They haven't really earned it. Yeah, and so they're judgy and they're actually fascistic in their behavior. But they think they're on the side of right. Yeah, yeah. And they just see Nazis everywhere. And that's who you went to the show. Yeah, yeah. No, screaming it, at people. Yeah. And trying to cancel them. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, not really knowing what that means. And, uh, yeah, so, um, oh, I was going to say, who, who does the last leg? I keep forgetting his um, name. Adam Hills. Yeah, Adam. I haven't seen him for about 10 years, but the, before that, in the first 10 years of my career, you see him a lot. And we only ever spoke to each other like hairdressers. And we used to call each other Scooch and Skitch. And I never had a conversation with him in my normal voice. And then sometimes I think I don't know what my normal voice is. Yeah. Because it's different for everybody I'm with. Yeah. And, and it can affect my mood. Like there's some voices that I'm just a confident guy. And sometimes I'm a miserable guy. And I, I, I feel like it, it really is all over the place. And when I'm on doing my hour of hour and a half or whatever of stand-up, is that it's easily the most confident I am all day long. Mm. But even though he's kind of low sta- he's he's low status guy pretending to be high status. So this is how convoluted I've made it. So I think he's kind of high status. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, deluded big I like who he is and then but then I yeah I veer off when I'm when I'm doing a northern accent I'm doing basically the people that were really kind to me when I first started doing stand-up they used to book me Toby Foster yeah yeah he used to book me up in Barnsley and I'm doing them we were just, so, so yeah. we, were, we were just talking about it. so one of my comedy voices is uh, so a lot of my comedy voices are cartoons one of them is Toby Foster um, and <laughs> uh, so it my uh, I genuinely created because I was at home trying to get myself to write and trying to motivate myself and I genuinely created an imaginary manager because I used to have a boss when I had a it was freelancing when I was doing day job work trying to get work as a stand-up and I would always I would have a work ethic when I was at work because the boss was there and when I was at home I wouldn't have a work ethic yeah. I'd just play video games Same. and sit around in my pants and so I created in my head a manager called Roger <laughs> uh, and I That's then created awesome. a uh, so what would Roger think if I didn't do my work and that turned into a character who was my imaginary manager who was a pigeon from Barnsley yeah. called Roger and it talked like Toby Foster oh, right, and it yeah. turned into this this monstrous character not like Toby Foster he's an awfully 
not really fan of. Um, and but everybody at that time had an impression of Toby Foster. Yeah, What's that's your right. Toby Foster impression. Uh, I can't do one. I don't really yeah. have one. He just it just started me off on. I just loved the accent. Mm. And I loved how um, they, I, I loved how, although I didn't think I had anybody from that part of the world or anything, but because of like where I grew up on a farm in Canada, there was just so many similarities between the way people were. Just, mm. even yeah. though I didn't know anyone from there, there was just, it just felt really homely. And it was, a and instead of doing my homely home accent, I would do that one to make myself feel homely and at home. And oh, wow, it's like wow. when, I, when I went to Northern, like my grandparents are Northern Irish. And when I went back to Northern Ireland, it's very similar. Working class Northern Irish people have so much in common with Northern English people or Yorkshire people and Canadian farm people. There's yeah. just, there's just the, even to the, the type of knickknacks they have on their fireplace. Yeah. Just, there's just so much that, and so those are my safe voices. Yeah, yeah. Those are my uh, deep, deep inside of me voices. Ironically, I, or is that ironic? But even though I'm not from mm. Yorkshire, that's me being simple me. Yeah, yeah. No offense, that came out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but so, um, what are your other voices from your? So your your mum's. My mum's Trinidadian. Okay. And I do. And I, for years, I didn't talk about mum being from Trinidad, but now because I talk about her because well, she's old, and it's not not like literally a tribute, but. Um, I also like when I start doing a Trinidadian accent, it gets people's, some people's backs up. So I and, assume. And I've, so I'm doing that for naughty reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sort of begging someone to find a problem with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I go off into doing a whole long... Because my favorite people, I think, and probably a lot of people are like this, are people with really, um, like, the, the opposite of what you think. Like, you know, like, uh, that flip... The world is so interesting and... Mm. And you can't judge anyone. And like, there was a girl last night who did a really great routine. She's from, her parents are Palestinian. And I can't remember the ins and out of it, but basically she's, her parents are uh, not Palestinian. They're not Arabic, they're Assyrian. Mm -hmm. So she's from a very small group of uh, Christians in Palestine. But the way she wove it all together, I just thought that's fantastic. I love listening to people like that because she's just throwing everyone's assumptions all up on their heads so whenever you i assume your mum is she's white. white yeah but grew up in in trinidad, trinidad. yeah yeah and so when my dad moved down there from canada uh to work on the oil rigs when he was like 19 and they met and so family have gone off in all different directions from that time and so there's loads of mixed race couples and there's you know it's just that ours happened to be she met dad and then she he took mum they moved to canada after they'd lived there for about 12 years so we were all your small dad was your or your granddad was northern irish or your granddad's dad. northern irish okay. grandma so and granddad so your grand your dad was first yeah. generation second generation canadian and i was i was trying to work out where. i was around so so grandma and granddad are canadian they moved to canada in 19 30 something mm. but never and lost the accent we're always no really strong yeah. and also like an olden days accent so it's like very hard to understand like I when I do my Northern Irish impression I'm doing an impression of my mates in Northern Ireland now yeah like granddad's voice sounded so archaic like it, would, it just wouldn't do it like it's hard to even understand him yeah so they were they were Northern Irish and dad was like a Canadian 
and mum was Trinidadian, Trinidadian. But when mum's, they moved mum's mum and dad over to give him a try in Calgary because their health was failing. But I was, so I was there during the times when my Northern Irish grandparents and my Trinidadian grandparents <laughs> met. But I wasn't old enough to remember how it all oh, went. Wow. Yeah. I wish I, w- I could remember. It seemed great. And there was lots of laughing. Mm. But I wasn't getting what was happening. And it, there was definitely the Northern Irish ones made the Trinidadian ones feel uncomfortable. I, I, I remember picking that up at some point because they were rough. Yeah. <laughs> and which, which, uh, which side of the Northern Irish were they? Protestant. Catholic? Protestant. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and also, but the Protestants who, who had 17 children. So, you right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. not, not like not even a choice of of um, of. Uh, what do you call it when you have sex contraception contraception yeah. thank you see I do that all the time I lose really key words but you I know you say time. that on stage you t- say you said a couple of times I don't have the words to describe this yeah sometimes and I, I lose my descriptive. but you are incredibly descriptive partly, partly because I think you're you're incredibly descriptive and very, very articulate. And well, I try. I feel. I feel like I let myself down sometimes. But so I, I try and use sounds and colors. <laughs> yeah, but that makes it. But I think possibly because you're, you're aware of. You think you're not. Yeah, I and think. Therefore, you become. Storm really says it comes from a chip on the shoulder, which comes from just not having gone to university is is followed me around it's like the, if if it did anything just having gone would have saved me from myself uh-huh. is is all yeah uh, because it has been like a, a a chip that i've carried around and so I, I kind of undermine myself and will use almost purposely more but simple words to describe the same thing or I'll try and uh, the fear of being caught out or being made to feel by myself like an idiot. I'll use deliberately obscure yeah. words to get to navigate something. Like I was trying to talk about how when I was I was the the bit started out about how uh, examples of how I know I'm old, and one of them was I've been to the Soviet Union, <laughs> which always just makes me laugh. Yeah. That's because that is super of an age, isn't it? Yeah, and I wanted to say like uh, it was a shithole, but um, I don't have the vocabulary to describe the sadness on people's eyes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it was you know I tried with like take uh, you know all t- imagine the worst place you've ever been, and then take out all the color. And then squeeze out the hope for a brighter future, and then I, and then it's like, and you're not quite there yet. Yeah. And then it goes on to be a thing about how they didn't. It was only 1987. They didn't know about their glorious future they were going to have, and then that ends up being about a a, a, a girl asking her dad if she could grow up to be a journalist, and uh, in Putin's Russia. And, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, so, <laughs> that, so I managed to, in the end, make it. At the end of it, you go, oh, Russia's great. But the Soviet Union was terrible. Yeah. That's a, but it takes a, yeah, anyway. Forget how I got to that. I have to all this military. Talking fully. When did you, mm. when did it click? When did you go from the guy who was doing observation material? To, <coughs> so when I started out, I was, 
I spent my first two or three years trying not to be Eddie Izzard um, and turning yeah. into Eddie Izzard on stage. And you mentioned Ed Byrne. Did you? Did you? Uh, uh, no, I remember tra- right when I your- when I was writing. It ended up being sub Ed Byrne. I re- um, I, and, I, and also and Harry Hill, I guess. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it was around. I remember thinking all the comedy I love is not stand up. So I loved all Monty Python and the day today and Blue Jam and all of that was the stuff that was making me howl, but I never saw that in stand up. And so I was I didn't have the creativity or the imagination to work out how I could find that to help my voice until I went to Edinburgh and I didn't even know it existed, but I remember going to Edinburgh and I saw uh, Rich Hall which was great he was just he was doing a country and western thing and I thought um, oh well, that's kind of like Otis Lee Crenshaw yeah. yeah and then I saw and then I saw the mighty Boosh and that blew something open And but the one that really blew my head was um, Simon Munnery because I'd never even heard of Nietzsche and, the, and he was doing jokes about Nietzsche and Wittgenstein and, and all this stuff about philosophy and, and all of it was new to me and it made me laugh and I was so excited by it and and the way he presented it was so bizarre and different. And it was around then I thought, but I didn't. It didn't change me immediately. But it made me start thinking. God, I got to. You really can do whatever you want. Mm. You don't. Because I guess I was trained at that American type of stand-up. I remember watching on TV as a kid. It was very much observation, three examples, punchline. Mm. And I just was. It was like that was how you did it. And I didn't like that. I was just saying, weirdly, not weirdly, because he's brilliant. Simon Munnery was pivotal thing for me. Yeah, as well. and, um, and and all, uh, yeah, I can also. I remember um, I worked a lot with Dan Antopolsky at that time. Yeah, and I remember watching. He was so clever, and he's um, he's a real he's linguist, in- which I'm I'm fascinated by linguistics. I loved his wordplay, and and we used to really banter with each other and give each other a hard time. Remember that time when we were in New York? Yeah, yeah. And he said he said something like. I liked the juxtaposition of the cornucopia or something like that. And I said, do you mean you'd like, you think those buildings are neat? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> and, and one of his jokes that really stuck with me was when he was, he, he's, <laughs> you know, when you, you got that last pea on your plate and you're chasing it around with your fork and you, you can't quite get it on you and you move it around and it goes on and on. And on. I mean, you can't just throw money at the problem. <laughs> And I just thought that's that's kind of the sort of thing I like. Yeah, because he's, he's super clever. Like he's yeah. a really good friend of mine. But I I feel intimidated in his presence. Yeah, because yeah, he's, he's he's I'm dyslexic, and so I'm I I find I I have a chip on my shoulder. It's sort of academically, yeah. and, and I feel stupid in lots of people's presence. Um, and but Dan is a lovely person, but he's I I find him sort of intimidating in <laughs> that sort of way. This is a talking funny podcast. So we we'll just go back to um, when it oh. clicked for you. Well, so uh, there's you... been a few moments that I uh, that I can remember of where it started. You know, like this. I started to do it a bit more like this, and then because I remember walking back from a gig that we'd done in Ealing. It must have been the late nineties. Mm. And you said to me, quite seriously, you said, uh, "Likes of me and you, you, we need to find a, we need to find a thing. We need to find a, because we look like normal blokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we need to find a thing. And I can't remember because it's a conversation I remember having. Um, and I think that struck home with me. Yeah. 
I don't know at what point after that I found a thing. I found yeah. something. I basically took all my skills and threw them at my actors. Well, it and took me a long time to find my thing because, well, as you know, like do, to make a living, you'd have to play jonglers. Yeah, yeah. And to do jonglers, you'd have to have, like, you couldn't really experiment. So you're kind of stuck inside of this mediocre set. But you, and then at one point I decided I'm going to die with yeah, doing yeah. what I want. But you'd managed, so I was, so I never did jonglers because I think we were very similar sort of left field yeah. sort of um, big dopey guy um, personas. Uh, and I, through my, well, through mainly through their choice, I never did jonglers because I was just too. I wish I hadn't have. <laughs> but I, Although it did, it did, but I think it did it give me an edge because uh, I remember someone so well, I think it was Noel who, dis- was it Noel? Someone described me as a hardcore whimsy. And they were saying there was the difference between, like, say, Noel, David O'Doherty which, and me. Which Noel? There's, there's Noel Fielding. No, okay. Because, uh, because I was having to go on to that bear, those bear pits, uh, my whimsy was fast and loud mm. and I think that's when it start, I started just never letting a second go by without kind of changing into some other voice or keep some plate flying to not let those hecklers in and you kind of heckle yourself as well yeah to try and get it out of the way <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so you kind of give yourself advice on stage and that's when I, I was just trying to watch, keep track of when you when you go into different voices so I, I can't I think I I sort of Jot it down afterwards trying to remember the different voices you do. And one of them is you talking to yourself and you call yeah. yourself tone and you give yourself advice and you yeah. you uh, so pe- you're kind of You're such a brave performer, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But so there's that voice which is different from the it's all more matey, you call yourself tone, and you go, interesting choice there. And so there's a slightly pretentious voice yeah. which goes into sort of um, posh, sort of slightly sort of pretentious. Ans- I guess you're sort of like hedging your bets or answering your critics ahead yeah. of time. Or you like trying to make people aware that you are aware mm. of what you're doing. And that you're, but you're so, so you kind of have a, in, is it story writing or film, the, the sort of the unreliable narrator sort of thing going on, in that you are kind of all the time going I shouldn't be here <laughs> why am I performing to you yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing in, yeah. in that in the, you're, you're you're breaking all the rules you're not doing that observational yeah the, the, that American sort of you're, you're always breaking those rules because well, yeah I'm, I'm quite often trying to mm. uh, you know it gets my back up if you ever see a book about stand up or or there's stand up courses and stuff I kind of try and see if there's a way of taking that rule Mm. and then making it work yeah and trying sometimes just try and get laughs from like I used to do a routine um, and all I said was Gok Wan's name over and over again for about four minutes (laughs) and it was it worked and I had a hunch it would work and like I had a hunch one year that um, I had this tiny little um, uh, bear on stage a little space bear I just had a hunch that putting a tight spotlight on him while listening to Journey would would become funny. And I would get the tight spot on him. And it only worked if the lighting was really good. But if the lighting was good, and I would walk off stage shouting at the bear. And it would, for about a minute, it was excruciating, going, what? what? And the, but then it would get funny. So there's yeah. something people were doing in their own minds to make this funny. And so. you, but you didn't know what that thing they do is. No, but you I, think this. I just had a hunch. This comedy maths. There's something about uh, this plus spotlight. Yeah, and I had another journey. hunch one year plus of time. of um, 
Uh, again, it was with Journey. There was remember um, what was that show called where the, they did all the singing Glee? Yeah, yeah. And and there and there was just a small town girl. I remember that was one of the ones they did. And suddenly that became a hit again. And I felt a little bit ripped off because I thought, no, that's a redneck song from like the seventies and early eighties. I remember the kids older than me listened to that. And I and I and it just that was just in my head. I remember talking to Tom State about it. Just going, yeah, it's, that was one of ours, man. And I just thought, oh, I want to reclaim that somehow. But then I forgot about that. And then. I remembered seeing a guy do an open spot dying on his hole in the in the 90s who had a massive ball and his whole set was he was just bouncing this ball and it was just a, a man bouncing a ball and I loved it and everyone hated it and that popped back into my head so I, this is the 2013 show I think it was basically I found a really big beach ball and I would uh, the music I can't remember the get in to it but I would get someone up from the audience and while this song is playing, we would just start playing catch and then they would throw it to me and we would, and I'd move further and further away. And for ages, while this song's playing, we're just playing catch. And then slow, then I would start to move this way and they would know to move that way. And we'd start circling while playing catch with the ball. And then we circle and circle and circle and circle and then we got closer until it really hit the song where we're holding arms with the ball between us spinning. <laughs> and it just slowly worked out. People just loved it. I had no idea why that would be fun. There was something about playing catch I thought was really earnest and, and it was loads of room for all of that stuff. So, so yeah, that was one of those. Yeah. So how did you get from... So what always fascinated me about you was, firstly, you end up doing the sort of stand-up that I wish I'd ended up doing because I, I've ended up doing lots of different other yeah. random stuff. I sort of followed followed where it went and sort of didn't concentrate on stand-up so much, but you ended up doing what the stand-up I love and I wish I did. Um, and But how did you get... Because you did that, but going through the sort of fires of hell of junglers. Yeah, you... well then, um, that was getting too much, and they were stopping booking me, and I realized... But they booked you for a long time. For a few years. Yeah. But I was only, I was never getting When Barry they wouldn't of... book me. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> but I mean, I, I wasn't getting any other work, and I thought, if, if I'm, I'm allowing myself to be at the whim of these clubs, yeah, yeah. and if junglers just pull the rug out, which they probably were gonna, the comedy store had already done that, I thought, well, then I, there's got to be another world out there. I've got to try and get my own audience or something. And I, I was out at the um, uh, Australian Comedy Festival in 2005. And uh, at the gala, my solo show didn't even sell that many. But they decided on the gala, on the final big show, to put me on last. And it was a bear pit. This is at like 2 in the morning. Not the gala gala, but mm. the... Uh, the nightclub, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guys on, I can't remember the Umbilical Brothers, were this huge acrobat thing that were even famous in Australia. People loved them. They wouldn't go on last. Excuse me, because of some technical thing, they needed to go on second to last. Oh, the old. And so, and so I remember Sean Locke was indignant on my behalf, and he's going, "What are you doing? You can't put him on." I said, he said, that's like putting, that's like putting, um, what did you say? Oh, what's the Australian guy who was in Neighbours? Um, Jason Donovan. Yeah, it's like putting Jason Donovan after Phil Collins. And then he kept doing all... <laughs> 
he was taking the piss out of me, but also defending me at the same time. And he, that's like putting after Led Zeppelin, and then just more. And he said, oh, you can't do that to him. That's outrageous. And I was absolutely pooping my pants. And I thought my kind of goofy, surreal stuff. And that was 2005. And that's when I decided I needed to shout. Mm. <laughs> that's when I just, and I found a pair of overalls backstage and a. And uh, I had a baseball cap already, and I put on overalls, and I just went out and started talking about when I put a guy through a wood chipper. I can't remember exactly, but, you know, when you're, you know, and I just started doing a real Canadian redneck and talking about wood chippers and being really harsh and shouting, and that worked, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to keep that element in. So, and it, it worked. It was funny, but... But that was... But that was a proper, like, I've got to do this gig. It's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. And you went and... I thought, it's going to go terrible do, doing this, and it'll probably go terrible doing this. But, but you might as well give it a go. Might as well give it a go. You're screwed either way. Yeah. And you had a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so that meant I realized I could, uh, uh, I could have different levels and different... And so you also, you went through, you refer to it in your... You went through a phase, and I remember it vividly, of wearing tiny tiny shorts oh yeah year. I did that I did that one year yeah each year I try and have a different costume so, so you can't so part of probably part of it, your voice part of your voice is when what the audience see when you walk on stage yeah and you uh, and me and Sophie were just talking about like when Milton Jones sort of clicked what he was doing he put on a stupid jumper that yeah. looked really unfashionable and he would stick his hair up yeah. and without that he felt that his whimsical left field yeah. mind maths stuff didn't click with a sort of an audience of people who weren't expecting it because he sort of set himself up yeah. hello I'm the weirdo yeah, and they were yeah, like, okay yeah. you're the weirdo we get this yeah. and so what when when you come on with tiny I mean they were tiny yeah they were really small those were from uh, watching Garth Marenghi when when Richard Ayoade came out on stage with these tiny little shorts and I never laughed so hard in my life <laughs> and I thought one day I'm going to wear t there's something about having long legs and then short shorts yeah. that is just a scream like watching any 1980s uh, footballer it's just a scream with their long thighs. Just so stupid. Big white. And uh, so that that's that was one like one another phase was I wore a uh, unitard. Uh huh. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've always tried to have something stupid on, even if it's just a headband, that just takes the edge off. Just like Milton, same yeah, as that. Just yeah. sig signaling. And also uh, uh, for a little story for my head. So if mm -hmm. I dress like a polar explorer, I feel like a polar explorer. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and the beard was all just from having given up and was going to quit comedy in 2010. And I just stopped shaving, and I was really depressed. And then I phoned the stand, and I, my wife said, just do one more go at Edinburgh. No press, no PR, just see if the stand will give you an, an, a room. And I phoned Tommy before he became a politician, and he said, yeah, you can either go on at noon or 7.30 at night, and I said, I'll take noon. No pressure, no PR, nothing. And I went up there, first show I did was, uh, there was one punter, and there was two reviewers. <laughs> and I just did, and it went great. And I don't know how it just, and that was when I also, I thought I wore a unitard. I'm just gonna dress and just be a floating head. And I don't know, it all, uh, it just went from there, and that built and built and built, and that's how I sort of had my second, yeah. well, my proper wave. Yeah, yeah. But that Which I managed to mess up through alcoholism. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, now, now, I, uh, yeah. But that came from giving up. That came from just this is quitting. The last, yeah. yeah, 
and then and then uh, then uh, I went in for an audition when I uh, and it was for Sky uh, yeah, Sky TV and they needed someone who looked like King Arthur and uh, I got that and that the money from that paid off my debts and meant that I could really have another go at it but part of that might have come from the beard as well. Yeah, no, I got the gig yeah, yeah. For the, from the beard. Because your depression beard. Yeah, was my depression beard got me a job as a king. Which then bankrolled you for... To be able to go up to Edinburgh, not give a hoot how many people came, and... Because uh, I, I similarly, I had a... With Little Howard, when Little Howard... I've been doing it for a few years, not anywhere near as long as... In hindsight, it was no time at all, but nothing was sort of biting with it. Yeah. And I did a show where... It was like literally, well, I might as well give it one. And basically, in it was called the Little Howard Appeal. And Little Howard, <laughs> he had a terrible disease that could only be cured by laughter and really good reviews. Yeah. And it was basically the sort of subtext of the show was that just appreciate this, or it's it's really hard work. Yeah. Appreciate it, or I'm going to have to stop doing it. Yeah. And that's when it sort of all kicked off. And and it was that moment when you go, you stop trying to please people and yeah. start going. Listen, this is what I want to do. I love yeah. this. I can appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and it's so like it's something you have to keep learning all the time. You have to keep reminding because you can get into a thing where you start punching out the stuff that came from that kind of danger mm. area. Like that's when you go to the new material nights. It's so important to remember. Like lots of people go there now, especially the old rope, where they kind of got a really slick, already ready five minutes, mm. and they go on and it's pretty good. But they all sound the same as each other. And, and, you, and you have to remind yourself to not dig out something old just so that you feel the same level as everyone else. Mm -hmm. You just go up and do something that just fails and then fail the next week and fail the next week Is that the key? then something comes I was going to say the, how do you What the problem I always thought whenever I found whenever I got a thing that worked when I moved on to the next thing I didn't want to do the same thing again I wanted to do yes. I wanted to reinvent I wanted to do something completely well different. that's a problem because look what happens to Phil Nicholas he, he for a long time he just completely changes style yeah, yeah so that's difficult to learn how to incrementally and how do you change. with your stuff which is kind of turning comedy upside down and trying to break the rules how do you how do you break the same rule twice without the that's same results that's the problem is the, yeah you well, you you, you uh, just go on with a stupid idea and, until it yeah I think it, the stupid ideas keep your heart yeah full bouncing the ball or you know just one or two little hooks in the show keep everything around it bouncing yeah and then and then the staples seem to come in you know you, you'll end up I, I, I'll challenge myself how am I who's the northern character going to be in this how do I get him in so there have been shows when they haven't been in but I always try and have one so, so in identifies yeah there's a southern sort of southern America southern yeah USA. that that was um, actually when I was doing the um, talking about those voices from earlier when I did the uh, sky thing we were filmed for a week in South Africa and so I'm dressed in armor. It's boiling hot, but the mist of the Cape Town mountains made it look like whatever we imagine medieval or dark age Britain to be. Camelot. Looked just like it with mist. and and uh, But it, we had to re redo takes when an ibis would fly over. <laughs> I was going, that was a really good take. They didn't have ibis, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one's going to notice that, but it makes a real, a real southern hemisphere. <laughs> sound and so anyway but the guy who played Lancelot uh, um, Noah Huntley 
who's a, a an actor he, he's more of a model now he's like a good looking older guy model and him and I we just started talking like that and for 10 days a week 10 days we never spoke to each other in our own voices we talked like that the whole time because we thought it was funny being in armor and, and, and you know and of course it is and we just talked like that and uh, that that's how we, I knew him when I would hang out with him, and every time I saw him in London, it was just so odd. It felt so serious. We should have armor on. It's just weird to be able to, to and he had such a posh accent, and ugh. But so that, right. that that posh accent. Is that, also so that just voice. started from then. Yeah, but you just said so that posh accent is that that comes in every so often when you're being when it seems to be when you're talking about pretentious. People who are slightly out themselves, and yes. you, you sort I of when you're being analyzing what you're saying, and, and yeah. you're, you're, you're going into the sort of media comedy talk. Yeah, you sort of it's usually someone on, uh, you know, like you can, you read some people in an accent, don't you? It's usually someone on Twitter telling someone how they should, how they're wrong about that something. Sort of, yeah, yeah. And I always imagine that they're all from, they're all upper class girls from Camden. Who, who are on the hunt for other people's privilege? It's usually I always imagine it's privileged people trying to call out everyone's privilege. Mm. Yeah, you know because they they haven't dealt with the guilt that they have for their own, and so they they want to spread it out on everyone and just and there's something judgy and yeah 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 yeah. But and also that's an attack on myself because I know I've gone through phases where I've been a a, a, a relentless. Um, uh, virtue signaler mm. you know you, you know you catch yourself and you go you go do I need to retweet that or am I just retweeting that so people think I'm a good guy because of that so a bit that voice is kind of a piss take out of me as well like, yeah who do I think I am because you've got a very very funny bit about brexit oh, uh, yeah. and about the attitude that that and I, it's completely and it's brilliant because it hits I'm a very much a sort of a Remainer sort of a, I'm that liberal <laughs> thing but but you especially with social media you get, just get so sick of your own voice and the people who agree with your voice yes and the you, echo chamber yeah yeah mm. and that's very much what um, Bravo Echo yeah yeah any four words that, that don't appear I can't I can never remember the name of that show um, but that's very much about what that's about it's about the left and the liberal liberalism eating itself and become, yeah and it um, so is eating itself it's such a yeah and especially like the election is in two days and this will go out after the election and god knows what well i i couldn't figure it out and i, I thought i didn't want to be sad forever and i i've kind of forced myself to meet more brexit people and reintroduce myself to people that are like my family blue collar mm. people so i'm so outside of it in this bubble and, uh, you know, the more you meet, you're going, oh, yeah, everyone's oh, they got some pretty good reasons. And, 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 I, and I just immersed myself in it. And I started to think, I started to see really good reasons why. And then uh, also, so, so I'm right back to where I was, is right in the middle. Because mm. I can see both sides, right? Um, but I think what, yeah. And um, so, so my, my thing was to try and get across to my audience, which is going to be mostly Remainer, probably. Mm. 
somehow saying something that's truthful about all of us that we share in common and why Brits might have voted like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to spoil yeah. a bit, but it's it's lovely. Um, uh, so it has a lot of swearing in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. The swearing in, in lots of different voices. And you, you, you sort of, you go north, you go sort of north-south all over the place and it's, saying it's a phrase that uh, epitomises uh, uh, the Brexit thing. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to um, visualise all the English rock bands from yeah. each region yeah, yeah, who've yeah. all done this at some point which for, I was, thought for, was a very tape, particularly yeah, yeah. For a very particularly British thing the rock and roll from Britain's very F you it's, yeah, like yeah. A, it's a kind of revolutionary always even if it's the Rolling Stone whoever it is it's always a real stick it up yeah and your, one of your observations in that bit is that there was at the moment when you found out the result of the referendum there was a moment you uh, uh, <laughs> as a British person of pride of like <laughs> yeah. we I can't believe we did what are we like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and which, which when you said it because from the referendum I've been apoplectically angry and getting less so because I think also what we need to do is actually sort out why people felt like that. Yeah, why, yeah, why yeah. Why they felt like, and why working class people have been neglected for yeah, yeah. for twenty years. Um, and that's that's the problem we need to fix. Yeah, Brexit yeah. isn't the problem. It's why people anyway. Yeah, um, quite. So that was that was all and, that routines about that. But I never thought, and I'd forgotten. I edited out that part of me. And went. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind <laughs> of result. Wow, wow, we didn't, did we? Absolutely, uh, no one else is doing it. Oh no, <laughs> absolutely nuts. <laughs> I'm talking funny. I was on a flight to Dublin uh, last week and behind us, and I never looked at them, was a big snag do all spread out across oh. all over the plane because it was Ryanair and you have to pay extra to sit together. <laughs> yeah. And they were all talking loudly and sort of being all sort of laddie. And, and they, uh, when they walked past, they were all dressed in massive fancy dress <laughs> and all swearing and, and using F word and the C word. And I was just sitting there going, oh, there are kids on this bike. This is... And then and it turned out that, that my wife was sitting separately from me because we were cheap and we didn't pay for to sit together um, and then we got on, th- got on the, t- the, the rank to get to the bus into Dublin and the two Dubliners uh, were sitting there swearing in exactly the same way but in a Dublin accent yeah yeah and, and my wife said well yeah because the, the, the turn out the stag do are all British um, had got, had lived in all of them had lived in Dublin and they just started swearing in with Irish rhythms when you hear like Father Ted swearing he's not swearing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and and suddenly their behaviour on the plane became much more acceptable because everyone yeah. around them was Irish. But they were doing it in an English accent, which to my ear is more of... It's well, weird. That, yeah, it's weird. It's like all the judgments we carry around with us. Like when we were at Euro Disney and uh, Storm and I were just people... It's mostly Italian and French banging on it and Storm and I were in a queue for something we're going you know if these were all British people we, we would all be de- we would be a lot more stressed right now because mm. we know what they're all saying to each other yeah. this, and, you know they're being rough as guts and complaining this is the Talking Funny podcast um, t- two things uh, there's a history is a thing that goes all the way through your stuff yeah. um, I'm very interested in that and when you're in Ru- you're in Russia going well, this up time, yeah, 1840s Russia, yeah, yeah. Uh, as a steamboat captain, and you, at no point, try and do the Russian accent. Is that just because that isn't a thing you could do? No, nah, just you just felt, find it. It felt like that would be the thing 
it, that that you would introduce that concept so you could do a Russian accent. Yeah. And that's why I thought I wouldn't do it. And you can't, and your character in it can't pronounce the names of the Russian Of Russian yeah. river names, yeah. So where does the, your, clearly one of your passions in his, is history. Yeah. And, well, I like, I, I, and throwing the audience into, into a historical context. I used to like reading history so much that I have an emotional longing for the past sometimes. Mm. I mean, knowing full well I'd hate it, but just, just uh, it's, it feels so frustrating you can't peek in. You know, and it's, a, 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 and I love looking at like old uh, street footage and stuff like that. Just, mm. just trying to grab a hold of people. There's yeah. some longing in it. Yeah. And so it's just like time travel, just introduce an idea. And also, I always tell myself, if I can get laughs out of this, then I'm, then it's, I'm doing all right in yeah. this show. And it's a nice break. If I've got something a bit blue, well, that's accidentally blue. I've never set out to do anything blue. Dirty blue, or? Just like when I talk about mashed testicles because of the tight white shorts. <laughs> yes. And how they look like they were rolling pinned out. <laughs> flat and thin. Thinned out and flattened out like a, my favorite line there is uh, like a meat butterfly. Yeah. Which I think is just horrific. <laughs> Close the screen door, close the screen door. Because that's the first thing you'd do if there's meat butterflies. Just, oh. You know what, one of them in here. So it's a sort of a, like a, a palate cleanser. It's sort of yeah, a, like so a then I'll go, Yeah, a bit yeah. of time travel after that's gentle. Although that one's got a monkey pulling a man's arm off. Yes. So yeah, I suppose I try and keep things a little bit edgy. Mm. Within edgy whimsy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I think sometimes I'm always aware that uh, whimsical stuff can also seem indulgent mm. if you don't try and get to a punchline quickly. It can feel like someone's just kind of you know, just lazily just doing stuff because it's... Remember, there used to be a lot more surreal acts, remember? Yeah, yeah. And but there's a lot of people doing Noel Fielding, Noel Fielding Light. Mm. And... Uh, he had the charm to get away with it all being about back to front ram's legs and 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 it he didn't need the substance didn't come from what he was saying necessarily came from who he kind of was and what he represented but, but i think if you don't have that yeah then you need to have more poor for me yeah but he also he he was one of the first people i saw that really nailed doing surreal whimsy to it yeah. because he he also did the the sort of self-heckling thing the sort of the the giving himself advice thing yeah uh, when, and what I love what, what so I watched your show at the Museum of Comedy the other day yeah and I loved it and the audience loved it I but I enjoyed your show so I MC a gig in Dorking um, for Scream Blue Murder. Oh, yeah. And I loved watching you play to those people because they're very Middle England sort of... Yeah. Um, uh, they're very wealthy. They're very left... They're very... Not left-wing. They're very sort of... To it's very Tory, very sort yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. And I love seeing you perform to those people because some of them are well, just so confused. That's that, why... That's, me, where the, that, that's where the dial thing comes from. That yeah, yeah. You're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But that, you're sort of voicing their... You're trying to tell them it's okay, that I know and it's okay. Like, yeah. I'm not deliberate deluding myself into thinking that's a normal joke mm. but and then it's, you gives a, it, it gives them a free pass it takes the pressure off and mm. they're kind of like oh yeah and it, it's funny they just see if, if 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 two people who are similar to them start laughing man it just spreads quick yeah 
Yeah, they just want um, uh, permission. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> because they, the natural default, yeah. And it can be hard in communities when they know all each other. Do you find going into... Uh, so the best Brexit jokes I've seen done by stand-ups are usually people with an accent that isn't from here. And right. so um, there's an American, I can't remember, Eric something or other, who's got, who has got a really good Brexit bit that... Because he comes in with a neutral voice. Right. That he doesn't sound... He does, if I come on and talk about Brexit, you're probably going to guess that I'm a Remainer and I'm the liberal lefty. Right. Stuff like that. But when you come on and talk about Brexit, you kind of... Do you feel you get a sort of a... I never thought of it that way, really. I, maybe that's true. I just... I just know that there's, like, two places you do comedy, isn't there? There's London and then... Uh, in the clubs anyway and then when you head out it's different it's a different world I mean all, all the people that come to me are pretty similar in each town but but um, but then when you but then the other club. gigs I do like small town gigs and stuff in places that are more you know blue collar and then I, I try and retain as much of that as I can so in each show I'll do something about when I was a pig farmer or when I I'll do a story about my life that which uh, middle class crowd will go oh that's interesting and other people will go oh yeah that's that's what I do yeah, or whatever yeah. so I try and keep that balance and it just means that when you're doing a, that Brexit bit will get huge laughs by liberal people in London but out there it'll get absolute standing ovation because even though you're not being pro Brexit with the bit you're just being pro the people who voted Brexit Yeah, and they're just like so starved of somebody Thank giving him that opinion yeah. they're just like they really cheer like and I, I've I've actually gotten bookings from that bit and I'm, the guy who got me back in um, Newcastle under Lyme I was thinking to myself the rest of that gig didn't go as good as anything. <laughs> like I struggled right up until then and then it was Whoa! so the impression and that's funny because I used to even do a kind of a piss take against people who you'd save their best bit for the end. Yeah, yeah. I used yeah. to. I used to try and. The, the, how, yeah, you'd ignore Tony the first. Is miming a banjo, I think it is. Is that a banjo? Was that anger? And that you just. What we? Sorry. Oh, 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 yeah. Someone <laughs> yeah. doing their. Because uh, uh, I used to make fun of Tim Minchin, just going, you know, without the piano, you're nothing. Yeah. yeah. And I, said, and I also, for, for the record, I also close, oh, you often close with the... Oh, thing, right, so, okay. But I hold it like that. But he like does that. it with a piano. There's a 45-degree angle on the thing that made... So I, that's why I started doing the guitar. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. because... Yeah, um, uh, so I used to make fun of that. Uh, and now I'm one of those. Yeah, yeah. but it's very funny. And also it's a lovely gear change. And also the lovely thing is, especially watching your show with Phil, Phil is a really, really great musician. Yeah. Who can, who can, yeah. can probably play anything on guitar. Yeah. And you... Pick up a guitar next to him and join it, <laughs> which is lovely, and so and so and so funny because one of the really funny things is you, you can see that Phil couldn't play anything on guitar. He's incredible. Yeah, there's something he's in the West End. He's just finished a run in the West End in a musical. Yeah, uh, and you're a guy who admit who says I, I haven't got any musical talent. Yeah, because there's something about enthusiasm in people who yeah. have a go that are so really your, infectious. Is your guitar tuned to open bar? string? Yeah. yeah, and when he when he can uh, noodle away and do something really complicated and then it's your turn, 
the, the going in on the same level as him. There's something I love That's about really, people that yeah. are like that. That kind of confidence I don't have. I, I'm but t- I love to mime it. The Talking Funny Podcast. So thank you very much, Tony. Thank you for to- telling us about Talking Funny. And uh, thank you for Howard for having all the brilliant questions. It was well, fantastic. Thank thanks you. for having me, guys. Next time, though, uh, we can do a reverse where we ask you stuff about neuro. <laughs> the, that stuff's well, interesting. Well, this there's, I think there's enough things that are on record of me talking about that. I think that oh, this okay. is actually, this is where there's really... Um, you know, maybe one day we can put it all together, but this is where, for me, there's absolute gold. So oh, nice. Brilliant. I'm sorry. I'm afraid I can't do that. <laughs> well, there we go. The final word goes to Siri, who cannot do that. Thank you for listening. Do like and subscribe. And I, too, want to get a panel of comedians to grill Sophie about what she knows about comedy. Um, upcoming, we have Paul Mayhew Archer, hopefully, uh, who is the writer of The Vicar of Dibley, who has only started doing stand-up recently after a diagnosis of Parkinson's. Also, we're going to be talking to Mark Watson, hopefully, and Jonathan Mayer, Beck Hill, lots of people like that. Um, thanks for listening. Goodbye. You're listening, it might get my hackles bristling And you might not quite know what I mean We're all talking funny Might as well just face it sunny Being different's what makes us alike Yes, we're all talking funny It's the truth, believe it, honey Some of us talk funny through a mic